welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme, Netflix Roulette. My name is Brett Stewart, and joining me, as always, on this splendid movie go-round, my two wonderful co-hosts, Nicole Davis. How are you? I am more or less okay. <laughs> uh, you know, that's kind of how I feel after watching this movie. It's a little bit of a downer, but I think I'm going to yeah. make it through this episode. This was an interesting pick, but David, how are you? David Luzader, everybody. Uh, I'm I'm doing well. I hope everybody's ready. I'm going to be speaking in code this entire episode, so people need to pick up the things that I am saying so they know where to get the shipments. I've discovered that podcasting is a good way to uh, move the <clears throat> materials. See, that's odd because you actually make negative money doing podcasting usually. So you, <laughs> so you think true. it would you think it really wouldn't be a good front, but we've really discovered <laughs> it is. Uh, in any case, the movie we watched, and for those unfamiliar, this week's theme, uh, Netflix Roulette, means that myself, David, and Nicole, we all spun a Netflix generator wheel that gave us a random film on Netflix, and then we chose between those three selections. The reason we do that is just because if it was completely and utterly random and we only had one spin, then we'd be watching like a 30-minute documentary on cats, which... Frank, that would have been cool, actually. But we watched this instead. We watched uh, 2005's Lord of War. But before I get into the description of this movie, I do also want to mention next week's theme, Future Classics. That's where one of us makes an argument that a movie that's come out in the last 10 years will be a future classic. David picked the movie for this upcoming Future Classics, and the movie is Inception. So if you have lived under a rock for the last 10 years and have not seen Inception, go ahead and go check out the Christopher Nolan classic movie. Uh, yeah, I think like, it's one of those along. movies, too, people own and they don't realize it. Like, go check your DVD or uh, Blu-ray <laughs> collection right now. You will be like, did, when did I buy Inception? <laughs> it's here. Uh, and you're right at the cutoff, too, because we uh, do it by 10 by years. Two years. Uh, oh, is it 2010? It's 2010, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was 2018. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> well, in any case... Inception. Check it out, people. <laughs> but right now, 2005's Lord of War with none other than Nicolas Cage. The 20-year arms-dealing career of Queens, New York outcast Yuri Orlov serves as a window onto the end of the Cold War and the emergence of worldwide terrorism. He finds himself reassuringly, he finds himself reassuring his more ethically challenged younger brother, Vitaly, while adeptly sidestepping the pursuit of federal agent Jack Lawrence. The globetrotting arms dealer also pursues the woman of his dreams, Ava Fontaine, uh, which <laughs> is weird. Uh, <laughs> I can uh, tell Brett is tired because Nicolas Cage says Vitali about 9,000 times in this movie. Vitaly. And yet he pronounces it Vitaly in the Vitaly. beginning. Vitali. <laughs> for a while, I was like, is this uh, like Vitaly? What did I think it was? Like Natalie or something like that? I couldn't even tell. <laughs> Oh, it's like Italy with a V in front of it, you know. Yeah, and it's played by, J not it, he, that man is played by Jared Leto, <laughs> a young, uh, pre-Oscar winning, uh, angsty hairdo. 
Yep. Jared Leto. Still super pretty. <laughs> yes, yes, very, very pretty. Uh, so yeah, this is essentially this movie. If you really want to like, I mean, it's interesting. I I don't think it's necessarily bad, but it's it's not. I, there's things that, in my opinion, prevent it from being great. Uh, but if, but I think I think if you wanted to say like one thing and then move on from this movie, it would be like came out exists. when Bush was president. Like, like this is yeah. most certainly a uh, Hollywood response to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's just talk a little bit about it, kind of breaking it down from the very beginning. The title sequence, Some Nicole put this in our docket. The title sequence is too naked gun for me. And do you guys <laughs> know where I'm coming from with that? I, I kind of get where you're coming from. Yeah, the title sequence was always the thing that I'd heard anybody talk about with this movie which is like how cool the title sequence is to watch the bullet, like, you know, from the bullets perspective being made and then eventually like getting used. Nobody else really ever talked about any other part of the movie. They just always <laughs> talked about the opening sequence. Yeah. And Brett dropped into our Slack chat as he was watching the film. I swear to God, if this intro ends with the bullet being shot into somebody, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's so tropey. And it, and and of course it gets shot into like an innocent young child too or like a like someone who looks like 12 child years soldier. old. Child soldier. Yeah. Right. Uh but but it reminded me of the naked gun because the way the bullet is centered through the entirety of it is the way the the hood of the police car as it's like driving through women's locker rooms and stuff uh yeah, is if, in the naked gun. Which if the bullet took a hard left into like a women's locker room situation <laughs> at some point, I would have probably loved this movie. Which uh, is like suddenly at a circus. Uh, yeah, right. So uh this movie digs its heels very very deep into the uh the war commentary early on and then kind of in my opinion gets a little bit muddied in it uh because you expect yuri uh by played by nick cage and to be entirely honest i think it's one of his better performances i get there's so many bad ones that i mean good ones <laughs> that are few and far between i think this isn't this as bad as it could have been this was still when he was considered a good actor. Oh yeah, like Raising Arizona era, like, um, so like, he's all, he's all no, right. Raising Arizona was eighty seven. Oh my gosh, are you right? okay? I'm young, but this was around. I mean, this was around the time of National Treasure, sure, and Matchstick yeah. Man adaptation. Yeah, he was still putting out good stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, so he's okay in it and Jared Leto's everyone's okay everyone's fine but like you expect him as the protagonist to have a morality crisis at some point in the film and and they pretend that he does but and they he kind of pretend he does but instead Jared Leto does for like three minutes uh <laughs> and then the movie just ends with the bad guys winning um or at least a perceived protagonist slash antagonist of the movie and maybe that's kind of a good way to end it maybe it's too cheesy if he's just behind bars at the end of the movie uh it would have been a little too true to life i guess in that scenario um it's yeah when this movie starts off and he's like i'm a ukrainian from ukraine (laughs) i already know let's talk about the uh the ukrainian like like 
melodramatic, like shirt halfway unbuttoned, like smoking in a Brooklyn well, like deli. Like well, it felt like it felt like the beginning of like Sal's Diner in a in like in um what what's it called um Spike Lee. I'm blank. The ages are oh, really do the right thing. Yeah, do the right thing. It felt like Sal's Diner. The ages are really ambiguous. He's like a, he was old enough to remember Ukraine, but he doesn't have any trace of an accent at no, all. Not a bit. And they like his parents do. His parents have accents, uh, and I love. There are kernels of really fun ideas in this movie, uh, like the dad who is not Jewish, but is so committed to that cover that he goes to the synagogue like every single day. That is like an interesting idea, but it's always just these kind of like things that are then tossed off almost immediately. Yeah. I found his parents' characters to be the, the most sympathetic and interesting. And I would have loved to see their story. Yeah, you're but. totally right, because we, we see, for context for those who don't watch the movies, and I know there's actually a lot of listeners who don't, uh, or at least there were with Geek Cinema, and I know that some of those people have now joined us here. In any case, uh, we see his parents at the beginning of the film, when he's first getting into the arms trade, because he uses the fact that his father goes to a synagogue where apparently you can know a guy who knows a guy who will sell you Uzis. Uh, like he what? walks into all the success. Yeah, they, they uh, don't but... show the interesting part, which is him accruing all of this. It's just the movie just jumps to, uh, and now he's doing this, and right, now he's doing right. This. And then we see the folks again when he gets married, uh, and they're very clearly uncomfortable by the wealth surrounding him. And then you see them once more at Christmas, and then you kind of see his dad at the very end of the movie when the shit hits the fan. So, or, or no, I shouldn't say it. He, it looks like the shit's going to hit the fan. And one thing I should mention is that at the end of this movie, as I keep hinting, when he gets off, that happened to a very, to a specific arms dealer who was helping the U.S. arm Libya. So his character is based off of like four different arms dealers. And a lot of what happens to him happened to at least one arms dealer in real life. He was primarily based off of, I don't have the name right in front of me. Victor Bout. Yes, Victor Bout, who is behind bars currently. Um, Is he? Yeah. Okay, the article I read is old then. He, in 20, I was looking at this earlier, um... In like the in t- earlier this decade, in like the in 2011 or something like that, he uh, was put in court. As of 2014, is representing Bouton overturning his conviction. Um, so yeah, with it, I think it was around 2011 or 2012, he uh, was convicted of a jury at a court in Manhattan on November on the November 2nd. He's serving 25 years. And this was also the guy who was tailed by a real life um, FBI agent. Uh, named uh, Lee S. Woloski, who doggedly pursued the real-life Victor Bout as he sought refuge in various African and Middle Eastern countries. Uh, And then also the background of our main character also is based on guys including uh, Sarkis 
Um who is a Lebanese Armenian arms dealer, and then a bunch of other names I'm not going to delve into right now. So there, the one thing I do find interesting about it is that the filmmakers did pull like the most interesting traits of every arms dealer's interactions around the world to create this character. Uh, and I think that's kind of neat. I mean, there's a, there's a weird, like mysterious aura to his character that I, I found interesting for a while. Uh, I don't know. A little know. while. Yeah. But they, he just is successful and we don't ever see why. I mean, we see how he escapes capture again and again. And that, is kind of like interesting the first time, but just at some point they're like, he's now the biggest arms dealer in the world. He says, I'm really good at smuggling contraband, but we don't ever see how we see him sticking some kilos of cocaine into coffee cans, but yep. that isn't like, that isn't overly creative. You know, we don't, <laughs> we don't see that come to fruition. They could have done a lot more with how he was doing all of this and built that up. I, but this movie was two hours, so where would they have fit any of that in? Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, I think him avoiding uh, the, the, you know, the I think him avoiding Jack Valentine brings an interesting, if not tropey, dynamic to the film. Where like America's golden boys like searching for him, but he can't bring himself to break the law in order to get the bad guy, uh, it, which is really it was cheesy. very Wolf of Wall Street. Oh my God, totally. Played by Ethan Hawke, and Ethan Hawke just has the face of a, of a soulless, diehard FBI agent, so I feel like that was well cast. Um, but then there's also these moments where he's just about to get him, and I actually do think those are some of the more interesting parts of the movie because it, it gets kind of creative. Everything from, like renaming a ship in like two minutes like going over the bow and having people yeah. paint the ship's name on to landing in the middle of uh africa and just unloading a ton of arms on just like a local village just giving Which, them arms yeah every everybody apparently wanted guns and weaponry like they were just the second they were available people like even like women with babies were like yeah sure I bet that's true, though, to be honest. Like, I bet well, something like that would happen because it's not It's not like, oh, my God, I can shoot something. It's like, oh, my God, I can sell something. Like, right. There's value or to that. I can defend myself. I believe I think they were landing in Sierra Leone. And mm -hmm. at the time, if not still, uh, it was torn by a lot of rival warlord uh, factions. And, you know, depending on where they were. Which which faction you were with, or if you were just caught in the middle as an innocent, you could, you know, people had their families wiped out during this. I'm sure they welcomed having a gun. Yeah, but maybe I, not yeah. a bazooka. <laughs> maybe not uh, the bazooka. The bazooka yeah. you can resell, though. Right, exactly. And, and yeah, the, the movie toward the end, uh, especially as it starts hopping around from conflict to conflict, because it starts somewhere in like the 80s and then moves through the Cold War ending and then ends kind of like in the early 2000s-ish. Uh, but there's, you know, times where he's in Sierra Leone and there's the Revolutionary United Front, the RUF, um, who was fighting, you know, uh, their ultimate, ultimately their failed rebellion. And he makes these comments that are at times feel a little bit forced where he's like, 
uh, they all have like revolutionary or independence or freedom in their name, but they're just worse than the last guy. And I'm like, what Snapple cap did you read that off of? Yeah, uh, force, <laughs> force is a good way to describe a lot of this movie because there are a lot of points where they are just like, yeah, do you get it? Yeah, do you get it? Yes, I, I get it. Uh, and like, yeah, and, and I feel bad because this is written by, uh, written and directed by Andrew Nichol, and he directed one of the best sort of hidden gem science fiction movies I've ever seen called Gattaca, which was great. He also wrote. I mean, he's written uh, the Truman Show, the Terminal. I guess yeah. he did the story of the Terminal, uh, but like. I mean, okay, Truman Show. Uh, I can't really say much of those other movies aside from Gattaca are necessarily very good. I never saw Simone. Or, oh, that's, that's legendarily horrible. Yeah, or The Host. I guess he kind of just, you know, had a good moment there with Truman. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, but so, I, 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 I don't want to say this is like horribly written. It's just filled with tropes. Uh, it yeah. doesn't feel terribly it's imaginative at times. Oh, it's so heavy-handed. And that's part of the problem of getting into, you know, Bush-era war politics movies, is they get really heavy-handed. You know, there's a time in this movie where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm watching Blood Diamond now. Uh, Because, like, Blood Diamond has the same problem. It's it's a decent movie, arguably probably a better movie than this. But there are times when watching Blood Diamond and you're like, wow, it really wants me to get this agenda like it really well, wants me to feel how much it hates the president uh, blood, blood diamond is buoyed by really strong performances yes and, and it has an emotional really strong oh, yeah, sorry, a really ahead. strong personal story that i don't think this movie has at all no, no it does not because you're right blood diamond has that story where it has uh what's, what's the actor's name uh, did you okay yeah he's awesome in blood diamond and um you know there's a story of his family right and they're trying to find his family and that's really heartbreaking in the movie and this movie the only moment of real strife <clears throat> aside from Nick Cage's family starting to catch on to him is when uh, is when Vitali finally has a moment of there are literally people 30 feet to the right of us that are going to get killed by these we- these weapons we are selling. We should not sell these. So he sacrifices himself in uh, protest, essentially. But it's. It's just so out of left field when he does it. That's my it. problem. That's my problem. It, it literally I don't comes know. out of nowhere. I didn't, I didn't find that so, because it makes a point. I mean, and this is how horrible Yuri is, is that when Yuri is, he's been clean for a while, he's been trying to get out, and then Andre Baptiste goes to New York and finds him personally to get him to make another arms deal. And Yuri is, you know, tempted beyond his means to resist. And he goes and gets his brother, who is clean, finally, after probably about 50 times in rehab, and is trying to get his life together, is working back at the restaurant, and drags him back into it, and hauls him off to Africa. Oh, he's so, a I terrible brother. So, I mean, I'm not brother. too surprised that he's 
had a change of heart about dealing arms, especially when there's a refugee camp a couple hundred feet away that he knows is going to be obliterated as soon as they sell the guns. I think, okay, I think I'm, I'm okay with like the, the change of heart, but it's just the extremes that he was willing to get himself killed to stop it. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was very, it's, I don't have quite, quite the right words. to like how I'm trying to express it. I, just didn't really fully buy that he was willing to suddenly get himself killed for it. I get being an objector and all of that makes sense. Like I, I would have bought more him than turning around and turning his brother in. Like that would have been a little bit more interesting of a twist on how he gets caught rather than like, Oh man, I've seen lots of people die and I've been doing this for a while. Um, But now I'm going to get myself killed because I feel bad about it. I don't know. It didn't work for me. He's reasonably well acted though, on behalf of Jared Leto before he had an Oscar, you know, obviously. Uh he's 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 well acted. Like his character yeah. Jared Leto does a has, good job, I think. His character has way more of an arc. Uh well Yuri has no arc. Like his character is static throughout the movie, more or less. Uh I mean there is one point in which he tries to go like legit uh and immediately gives that up in less than a year uh and just starts lying to his wife again. But at least yeah. uh Vitaly has an arc. And it has a dramatic arc. Like the, like there's a really like messed up scene where he is like in the middle of nowhere in some abandoned town. Uh, is it like in Eastern Europe or something? I can't remember exactly where, uh, or maybe in Asia. I think he said Bolivia. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and he's just, you know, doing giant lines of Coke and like strung out on the floor and he looks <laughs> miserable. Uh, a, a line of Coke in the shape of Ukraine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's no way he made that by hand. It was too <laughs> perfect. <laughs> uh, so like there's a, there's a dramatic arc to him that I can appreciate. No, there, there is, and there, there is no character grows in this movie except for him. He's the only one with any character growth, but everybody right. is static. And we've talked a little bit about Nicolas Cage. They kind of have this moment where they want you to feel like, oh, he is realizing what he does. But by the time we get to the end of the movie, he's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, the movie argues he is, you know, a necessary evil. That the reason he will be let go by the U.S. officials is ultimately because, uh, you know, arms still need to be traded, and sometimes a president of the U.S. needs to trade those arms, and he needs a middleman. But, but, uh, but they have they they waste this whole sequence of him like seeing the horrible things, getting weirdly coked out on gunpowder oh yeah there's like the door scene where it's like 20 minutes of him wandering <laughs> around the desert george uh jim morrison style like yeah I, I forgot about that and that little girl with with missing an arm like asks him if it'll grow back and it's like look at the horrors you've wrought yuri and you know he tries to go legitimate but but by the end he's just the same guy nothing's yeah. changed He's amoral. Yeah. He's ambitious. The only people he cares about are his immediate family, and that's it. Well, let's talk and a little. Uh, him by the end. Let's talk about another member of his immediate family: his wife, uh, and an object of desire to a creepy degree from early age. <laughs> um, Good point, Ava Fontaine. Uh, so very Ukrainian name. Yes. 
So, uh, so we actually have a question about her in our docket from Nicole, uh, played by Bridget Moynihan. Is she doing a great job of portraying a f- superficial woman or giving a superficial performance? And I think that's a really good question. And she has a little bit of an arc, albeit another very tropey one to me, which is like, I was fine being the trophy wife spending your money until I had a morality crisis. And then we have that really cheesy scene where he's like, I lied to her a million times. Now she lied to me. She learned from the best. I'm like, ah, <laughs> ah. Uh, and it's one. Ah. Before we discuss her character, one thing I want to point out that I thought was <laughs> real bad was when uh, she's like, "I don't even know if I'm beautiful anymore," and he just like sits by in silence. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I'm like, uh, where is your where's your husband? training yeah. here also she uh, seems like a perfectly fine mom like there's nothing in the movie yeah. that alludes to her failing as a mother it just gets no. dropped in there i know think- but i mean the correct answer is of course you're still beautiful yes <laughs> <laughs> i think that she is doing fine with what the script gave her character hmm. yeah i suppose that's true enough which is not really it much. doesn't give her anything really nothing exactly. at all <laughs> uh, um yeah, yeah, I I will ag- agree. There, it's not a super deep performance, and I don't know how much of it. I don't really know Bridget Moynihan from other stuff, so I can't really say what she's like in other films. Um, I think part of it was a little bit of just the the script. Um, I do like the scene though uh, on their wedding day when he says the line. That's the problem with Dream Girls is they become real or something like that. Um, just that whole adage of like, never meet your heroes. Like the people that you idolize in your mind are just people. And then when you meet them, they are not that thing you've had built up in your head. And I think that's a super interesting idea. Not ever explored beyond that moment. Well, isn't it kind of a weird idea in that moment though? Because he's alluding to having some sort of issue with the fact that he has now finally, uh, you know, c- captured his claim of Ava Fontaine. Uh, and and, she, and she's like, sure. in that scene, she's literally telling him, she's like, I don't care what you do. I know you're probably an asshole. Like, let's just keep it under the table. I don't know. I kind of, I read it more as rather than him saying, you know, oh, damn it, she's actually a person and she's going to have needs and I don't want to have to deal with that. I read it more as, you know, oh, damn it, she's she's a real person and I actually love her and these flaws that she's, you know, I love her in a human way and this is going to be a huge vulnerability for me. So that could be problematic. I could see that. I could totally yeah, see that. Uh, yeah. Uh, that actually makes a lot of sense. David mentioned earlier the Wolf of Wall Street, and I think there are some parallels to be made. Uh, yeah. I think there's. Except uh, that the Wolf of Wall Street is like 50 times better than this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, so, but let's talk about a woman movie, in almost an identical role in Wolf of Wall Street, right? Because Margot Robbie's role in Wolf of Wall Street is more or less this role, right? Trophy, yeah, trophy, trophy wife. Trophy wife the, who finally has a crisis at the end. 
Uh, so she, her crisis in that movie is more Leonardo DiCaprio is an asshole that I'm done putting up with his crap. Where in this movie, it's, oh, my husband is selling weapons all across the world. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, which, and also she, Margot Robbie was a much more uh, complicit in Wolf of Wall Street. Like she oh, was very really aware, good point. aware of what was happening and like encouraging it. Right. That's a very good point. Uh, so let's talk a tiny bit about the scene where his wife finally puts the nail in the coffin. She follows him and arrives at a, a storage uh, unit, not even a storage unit, like a big um, shipping, a shipping container. container. And, of course, it's his son's birthday, which is so much worse than her birthday or his birthday, uh, that lets her in. Also, why are you, like, locking a container of, like, assault rifles and, and your passports and expensive arms, like a little thing that high school, use, high school students use on their lockers? Uh, I feel like this <laughs> should, be, it should be handled better. But in any case, she gets in, and that's when she... Ha- First of all, why would you bring the kid into the r- unit, too? Like, that's my question. You know something's not well, good Well, because he's little, and you don't want him wandering away while you're inside the, they, the shipping container. They could have had him off with the nanny for the day. <laughs> she should have just been like, little I, Jimmy, go stand in the corner, you know? And, and she kind of does that. But it's just- they, it really was this really funny moment where, like, it's my son's birthday, where it's like we're supposed to, as the audience, supposed to be like, oh, how good he is. So horrible. <laughs> I like your Nick Cage impression there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it, and then I actually didn't catch that he was the one that bought the painting until that moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. Uh, because he's like, I also had the opportunity to invest in art. Uh, yeah. He's investing in her art. Uh, so let's talk about Nick Cage then. Uh, this is another question from Nicole. Is he doing a great job portraying a soulless character or giving a soulless performance? Mm. That's a real Yeah, good I was question. back and forth on this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's I'm going to go with the former. It's got his voiceover throughout the movie. Yeah. And his line readings... I mean, his he's got a, a fairly dynamic performance as, you know, when he's playing the character on screen, interacting with other people. But in the voiceover, it goes really flat. Mm. And so I just kind of kept going back and forth. I'm like, well, is this inner voice how the character talks to himself? And therefore, he's kind of starts out as this kind of soulless individual or is it just he just happens to be giving not so great line readings for the voiceover and he's giving a good performance with the other actors huh or is it the fact that you know the line readings are supposed to be um well i guess the issue with them i would assume your issue with them is that they're like almost like arrogant and flat it sounds like he's like excited about all of it. I don't know how to describe. What's your issue with him? Because um, they're really they're, poorly written. They're all over the movie, and this movie does a lot more telling than showing. Well, there's yeah. that, yeah. But I mean, it's like it. It turned out I had a gift for languages and <laughs> traveled to countries all over the world. It's just like eventually I had my own fleet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just really, it. it's like he's, he's been forced. <laughs> I don't know. I picture him like lying in a, the character lying in a hospital bed somewhere with like being deposed by government agents and him being forced to recount his life story. So it's like how he would tell it to people he doesn't particularly like and doesn't want to tell anything to. Yeah, I. This movie is weirdly bookended by those two scenes of him in front of that house. Who is he telling the story to? Is it just supposed to be us, the audience? What's why is he in front of that house? That, uh, <sighs> it's just like easy shorthand for war zone. I think. Yeah, I guess. Oh, this movie suffers massively from the fact, in my opinion, that he's not telling the story to somebody. That he's yeah. not being deposed, that he's not, you know... Uh, he is bragging yeah. to the audience. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Nicole, you bring up a really good point, but I, I, I still think, voiceovers aside, his performance is reasonably good in this movie. In the grand scope of cagedom, like, I think there are more egregious outings... <laughs> And I think there and are that outings that are. Well, and, and, and I, I have to say, this movie has the very best hair pieces I've ever seen him wear, where it actually <laughs> looks like his real hair at the beginning of the movie. Right. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. When he's like younger. Yes. Yeah, they, did, they did a pretty good job with those. I'll agree. Usually right. they stand out like a sore thumb. You're like, what? Oh. oh, yeah. I wonder how long that took to glue down this morning. I know we already talked about. Vitaly a bit, but can we talk about that sign? The beware dog sign? Oh, God. If you like, that that's was so, so deep. deep, man. That scene <laughs> is the perfect encapsulation of the terrible writing in this movie and how it's trying to be too clever by half. It's like, the, what is the, did you, are you scared of dogs? No, it's the dog inside of me. That always wants to hurt someone, or uh, well, aren't isn't that what you are? A dog on two legs? It's just like, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> That's insane. What are, you, what are you talking about, Nicholas? Come back. <laughs> uh, but also, like Jared, everybody in this movie, like that, those. Uh, Jared Leto at least seems to be trying. Oh, yeah. No, look, Jared Leto's insanity as a human being aside, I think he's a legitimately good actor. And this was, uh, you know, still fairly fresh off the heels of uh, American Psycho and Requiem for a Dream, where he still had that real youthful charm and energy He'll, man, he plays a lot of downer characters now that I think really? about this. A lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, he wanted to play against type for a long time. Now I think he still out. does for the most part. Yeah, mostly. Uh, but oh, it, it. Did Nicolas Cage ever win an Oscar? Why do I feel like he was yes, nominated? Yes, for uh, Leaving Las Vegas, 96. Right. So, like, so, he's, yeah, an, he's is, an awesome. One thing I always like to remember to remind people when we're watching a really bad Nick Cage movie in this part. He's an Oscar awesome. winner. He's an Oscar winning actor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, like, this is like the tail end of us still liking and supporting Nicolas Cage before he became a human meme. 
and like the rise of Jared Leto before he became a human meme. And then, you know, Ethan Hawke's also there. So playing the most stereotypical. Oh, Wicker Man was 2006, right? Like once you get in the bear suit, that's where the career goes. (laughs) Wow. Wicker Man was only 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this, that that must have done it. That killed it. That the was the moment you get in the, the end, bear though. suit and and start running around punching bees, women. Bees, millions of bees. This <laughs> movie bees. is a lot of fun. If you see Ethan Hawke's character as a continuation of his character from Training Day. Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just a thought. Just something I thought of. Yeah, I I think he doesn't quite. He doesn't quite accomplish what his character is supposed to be. Although I think that's more the fault of the writing than his performance. Because I think he's basically supposed to be playing a a boy scout. Yeah. Yeah. He does not have a lot of depth to work with either. Boy, these characters are very surface level. Just just out of curiosity. And maybe this is, maybe this is sacrilege. Maybe it's not. I really don't, don't know a whole lot about Ethan Hawke. Um, does any, does anybody like him? Like I'm just being honest. Like is he is he lauded in any way, shape, or form for his acting? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, not, not he, terribly often. <laughs> he right. gets uh, he gets talked about favorably for the before series of movies, before oh. sunrise, before sunset, um, uh, training day. Because I just think of yep, when I think of him, day, I think boyhood. of like Sean Penn. I think of like I oh, think yeah. of like a guy with a with increasingly bizarre haircuts people um, people loved him in in boyhood um by the way if you just google ethan hawk and the images that show up on the side there is one of him with like bleach kind of frosted tip situation and it oh is yeah not pretty do the same thing <laughs> do exactly the same thing with sean penn that's what i'm talking about like they have made similar stylistic choices <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm really, I'm actually really liking Ethan Hawke's acting uh, lately. I think he's been doing some, making some really interesting choices and doing some good work. And he was in one of my favorite, I, I don't know, I might have to make us watch this if you guys haven't seen it. Uh, one of my favorite vampire movies ever, Daybreakers. Oh, yeah. boy. Which is incredibly yeah. over the top yeah. and bonkers. Yeah. Uh, I've, I, part of me wants to watch it like a late night viewing but and then there's but the purge where I've been drinking. And then there's yeah. the purge. Um, I haven't seen the purge. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> it's very very bad. Uh, so yeah, I mean, moving on a little bit though with other characters this in this <laughs> yeah. movie. Um, uh, Emin Walker, who is Andre Baptiste, Emin Walker, uh, and Andre Baptiste is based on the Liberian politician Charles Taylor. Uh, so that performance, let's talk about it. It's in our docket. I think it's pretty good. He's scary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not as over the top as the son's performance. Um, right. Who, I mean, bring me the gun of Rambo. Yeah. He was like a cannibal and stuff. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, I thought he did. Sorry. I, I just, remembering this movie and i had a flashback uh no i think he does, i think uh he does a really good job in that character he is i like that he plays sort of a calm cool collected guy and not like he you know he could have been the psychopath who like could go off in any second but 
Yeah, he just, just shoots a guy f- to test a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> but you just always feel like he is in control. But isn't that kind of the stereotypical betrayal of the African warlord? Is like, uh, I feel like I've seen this African warlord in seven different movies. That's kind of how I feel about his betrayal. Usually I see it, uh, usually it's even more racist than this. Okay. Um, like, I'm thinking of the one in District 9, particularly, yeah. where he's just like mentally unstable. Sure. To levels of egotism and ambition and, you know, just general volatility. Yeah, that's yeah, Eamon Walker plays it a little more restrained. You know, he's he's got ambition. He wants to kill his enemies, but he also wants to run the country. Yeah, he shows up for these like UN talks. He does have an interest in keeping things going, uh, even if his methods are not preferred by <laughs> anyone else well that's that's similar to the person he's based off you know charles taylor uh who was a liberian politician because uh that was a guy who was u.s educated you know he got his bachelor's in the u.s and then went back uh and eventually um you know trained as a guerrilla fighter so uh, right apparently uh, it's sort of in a it's an elite social class in Liberia, the Americo-Liberians, people who are descendants of American migrants. Hmm. Mm, oh, is he also a descendant of an American migrant? I think so, yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. Very interesting. Oh, yeah, you're right. His father was Americo-Liberian, um, who worked as a teacher, sharecropper, lawyer, and judge. Okay, then. Interesting. Uh, yeah, he's it's, it's well acted in the movie. I think he's also the catalyst for one of the most interesting scenes in the movie is when Ian Holm finally gets killed. Um, yeah, because it's just a weird scene. Like we have this in our docket, and we've already talked about it a little bit. But so you know, he kills he kills Bilbo, and then <laughs> after, and I'm not going to call him whatever he is in this. He's Bilbo. He kills Bilbo Baggins, and uh, then goes on his little you know spirit quest thing um, in the middle of the of the African wilderness or whatever. Uh, but the catalyst for that is Andre Baptiste. Um, and you don't know how the scene's going to go the first time you watch it. You don't know if he's going to pull the trigger or not. I love, I love that he does it in like a second. That there is no like hesitation on his part. Like you know, he's he knows Nicolas Cage isn't going to do it. And I, I think uh, a typical way this is like that. That was a really strong scene in this movie. A way that other movies would have gone is like, oh, you have to pull the trigger, pull the trigger. Oh, you're not going to pull the trigger? Well, we're going to pull guns on you and make you do it, and we're going to push you to the edge of it. He's right, like, and your hands are going to shake, and you're going to yeah. you know, have a moral crisis, whereas he he doesn't... Yuri won't pull the trigger, but he also won't stop, stop what happens, yeah. Andre from pulling the trigger for him. Yeah. I thought Yuri does pull the trigger, though. It shows that he... he- well, he both pulls of them it. It's both the of them. Time. Yeah. Okay. I he like, see. puts his hand there with him, and I th- I think that is really great that that was a break from the norm and made the scene more interesting. It was a bonding experience, as uh, <laughs> yeah, as That's Andre right. Baptiste claims. 
so toward the end of this movie, there is a hard left turn. I, don't, I mean, it's hard. It's hard, but I think it is sprinkled throughout. It's of political I, I, I messaging. I say it's hard because there's been no mention previously of the point yes. that they make. Yes. So the point they make at the end of this movie, uh, they, they really just you know throw up their middle fingers in protest to George Bush, um, and say you know hey you know the U.S. China, a bunch of other, you know, three or four major other countries, which are like the permanent seat holders in the UN, uh, they're actually the largest traffickers of weapons in the world, not, you know, small time arms dealers or smaller countries, you know, these big giant countries, the ones that are, you know, proclaiming peace throughout the world are the ones causing the most issues. Uh, and it throws it totally out of left field. Like, David's very much right. It literally th- throws these up in, like, uh, on-screen text <laughs> blurbs as it's, like, panning out of a field of empty, like, gun well, cartridges. Yes, but, I mean, it's after uh, the interrogation scene That's true. with... Jack Valentine, where he's saying, this is what's going to happen. Right. Well, and that's why, that's why I felt like it was a little bit out of left turn in that scene because up until now he has been, you know, he has been providing sides for, um, for like the African countries that are largely infighting. And Ian Holm makes a very interesting point early on. Didn't you think that I wanted both sides to lose? Uh, It's sort of, he doesn't care who wins or who dies or he just cares who's going to pay him. And that's kind of been like the driving force up until this. And then, Suddenly, it's like, yep, I've been doing America's work the whole time. And I, again, this movie, that's the heavy handedness just comes in real hard. I yeah, totally although see there's that. been little glimpses of him uh, talking to a, a faceless general. American. Yeah, a couple times in the movie. In fact, he mentions it like halfway in the Donald early parts Sutherland? of the movie when he's, um, when he's selling. <laughs> it's Donald Sutherland. Is it? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. No. Yeah. Uh. Donald Sutherland is, uh, he is credited in this movie voice only, uh, mm. but he is Colonel Oliver Southern. Mm. Okay. So it's, it, the body is portrayed. Oliver by, Southern, huh? Yeah, right. Mm. It's portray- the body is portrayed by a couple oh. other people, but the voice is Donald Sutherland. Okay. Uh, weirdly sure. enough. But yeah, That's I mean, that guy shows up when he's selling arms that were left there, uh, uh, you know, left in the Middle East by him. Russians. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was just a little bit too vague. Yeah. And, and I mean, it does reflect. Like, oh, no, go ahead, Nicole. It, it, it does reflect the, you know, the inspiration for the, the guy who was the inspiration for the character. Um, mm. Victor was actually did run arms for the U.S. in Iraq. Right. So, and and let's not be blunt the the political messaging of this movie is anything but subtle. Uh, it's you know I I struggle with movies like this because, um, I feel like when Hollywood was laying into the Bush presidency, and I keep mentioning that because even though Bush is never directly involved in this movie, this came out in 2005. It's a massive critique of arms trade of arms moving around the world, which was an issue of the Bush family. Uh, and then, uh, this was also right after the height of Afghanistan. So, this is very much pointed in that direction, just like something like blood diamond or what have you. And my struggle with these movies, because I think they just turn into uh, 
left-wing caricatures of what they should be. I think they they don't focus enough on creating a good story. They focus yeah. more on what was the the, the, message. the overall message we really wanted to pump into this movie. And that can happen with anything that's really politically fueled, but I think these anti-war movies throughout the mid-2000s are particularly egregious in that regard. Yeah, it... Um, oh, what was I going to say about this freaking movie, man? Oh, I also have an issue that no one is likable in this yes. film. <laughs> There's, I think that's part and parcel of the ha- it having a political message is they don't want Yuri to be likable because then people might take the other side if he's too sympathetic or they might say, well, I can see what, you know. Mm-hmm. Why saying it doesn't matter because both sides are yeah buying weapons yeah and and with this movie trying so hard with its message I think it it falls kind of into that trap that you were talking about Brett where it really got kind of adopted by the people who are into like the edgy ca- like counterculture counter war stuff like yeah yeah this movie shows what it's like yeah middle finger to the system <laughs> oh yeah it's just like this was also the same time as let's think what year was bowling for columbine 2003 ish like this is this mm. is the time where the the oscars is literally co-opted on stage by michael moore anti-trump uh, not anti-trump anti-bush, anti-bush. Uh, freudian slip uh anti-bush uh, he literally co-ops like like a three minute speech on it when he when he accepts the Oscar for Boy. for Columbine just a couple years before this. So two thousand five um, was not a good year for film. No. <laughs> at what came out? Uh, so this was you know this was on Hollywood's mind like uh, in the same way, arguably in the same way the Trump presidency is now. And I won't get too much into that, but I mean just look at the Golden Globes this year. I mean <laughs> the Golden Globes this year with yeah. Oprah. Could be uh, um, could be similar to Michael Moore, a la two thousand three. So, food for thought. It's interesting when you have uh, really divisive Republican presidents, you tend to get really feisty Hollywood. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I am sure we're gonna have movies like this, right? We're gonna have movies about the Trump agenda in the next couple of years. That oh, are sure. be yeah. Similar. Um, because you just don't really make movies about left-wing presidents like this. So it's fascinating. I mean, I kind of hope we come across those at some point because I think they're... Wait, no. Do you know what it is? Do you... Oh, I need to talk about my... Okay, I'm going down a rabbit I'm, hole. I'm Has anyone worried. seen the trailer for the new Clint Eastwood movie? No. It is the most... Is... Jing... Okay, it is the most jingoistic uh, hot pile of garbage I think I've ever seen in a trailer. It is the story of those three Americans on that European train where it was taken um, over by an active shooter, like a terrorist. And then they fought him off and d- uh, saved the, the whole 15, train. 17. Yeah. You it, send us the link for this. Yes, but I, didn't, I, uh, I, I think it's so dumb. It is portrayed by the three people, by the real people. And there's a scene at the end of the trailer where one of them turns to the other in very much a forced Lord of war type way and says something along the lines of like, Hey man, why do like bad things happen to good people? <laughs> like, it's just, it pains me to watch, and I feel uh, like see, that movie is going to be a new generation's Lord of War. That's my stamp of 
what's going to happen with that movie. Oh, and I'm looking at the people in this movie, and there's people I really like. Jenna Fisher, Judy Greer, Thomas Lennon, Jaleel White, inexplicably, is in this movie. <laughs> the movie Burke makes no sense. In this movie, like, I, I'm so confused by it. I'm so confused by why these guys wanted to do it, why they wanted to relive this tragedy, and what's no doubt traumatic. Like, that kind of reminds so many me questions. of... Uh, Inglorious Bastards, hmm. Daniel Bruhl's character, uh, who is that like war hero uh, of the Nazi regime, who they make a movie about his life that he acts in. Mm, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is like, you know, Eastwood jingoistic film- filmmaking to the nth degree. And I, I anyway, I think there's a parallel to be made here because, um, I mean, obviously, though, Eastwood would not agree with a movie like this. <laughs> Uh, in any case, let's wrap it back down by, we've already talked a bit about this, but is Yuri likable at all? Is he a nope. character you like or want to like or wish you could like? Uh, Not really, no. No, yeah, but there's no, times where the asshole. movie wants you to be sympathetic of him. Kind of is. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it works. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> so... Is it a good movie? You know, I mean, let's let's just say let's take the whole Nick Cage out of it because there, I feel like there's like movies and then Nick Cage movies are a separate thing. And let's just talk about the whole broad scope of it. Is it something that's decent? Because it it was reasonably well received. It's like a sixty something on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not. It's not Wicker Man. I don't think it's good. I mm-hmm. think that uh, there are interesting elements of it. I think that this movie could be good, um, but I think taken as a whole, uh, it's not something I'm going to watch again. I, I will not recommend to people either. <laughs> That's absolutely yeah, fair. It's, what it's about you, not Nicole? something I would have chosen to watch. No, no I don't think these Netflix uh, roulettes ever will be. Uh, <laughs> it just doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. You know, it tells you progressively more of his story. But it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't lead to anything. Yeah, but to very little purpose. You could stop the movie after 45 minutes and make the same point that you do in the two hours. Oh, abs- absolutely. Yeah. You're right. And, Ugh, and I think David God, made a good point. More. <laughs> uh, David made a good point in our Slack really early on where he said that this movie thinks it's really clever. Uh, and it does, it, it, it goes for these, you know, moments that are supposed to be dramatic and you can just tell the screenwriter was like, yeah, 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 yeah this like is really going to get him rolling him. in the seats. Yeah. And you feel nothing. Mm-hmm. I accidentally left. That was the wrong button. Oh my god, Sorry. David, that was brilliant! <laughs> Please continue. Know, you were talking about his parents disowning him. <laughs> um, his parents disown him, and you don't care, because it's obvious. It's like, you know, of, of, course of course they would. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? There's no... He has given them no reason to feel attached to him. Agreed. Agreed. I, I, I think this is a... Uh, just go watch Blood Diamond. Like it's better. It's 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 a little bit better. It's gonna give you more or less the same messaging. Um I, I think there are some redeeming qualities of this movie. I think they're 
they're drowned out by really poor dialogue, really poor story decisions. Like I knew I would kind of hate elements of this movie from the opening scene where we meet Jared Leto, like smoking outside of a, of like a Ukrainian diner in Brooklyn. And his brother walks up to him and he says, how's it going brother? Uh, no, sorry. Jared Leto says, how's it going brother? And then, uh, Nick Cage stares into the distance and just says, it's not. (laughs) That's what I knew. I would kind of hate how this movie was written. So deep. This movie is so deep, you guys. But at the same time, I think it's a, it's an, I think it's an interesting product of its era. I, as oh, for, it's for very me, much of its time. For me, as someone who is really fascinated in politics, someone who does a film politics show, you know, silver screens, uh, this is an interesting relic of the Bush era to me. So you don't really need to see it. I, what are we watching next week? We're watching Inception. Inception. That's a better movie. But we're going to yeah, determine whether or not, though, it's a future classic. That is the question. Yeah. This movie is not a future classic. It has been more than 10 years, and it is... I think we no, should it hasn't been more than 10 years. That's the whole point of it being called a future classic. No, for this, no this movie, it has been more than 10 oh, years. Oh, this movie, yes. Yeah. It is not. Lord of War is not a future classic. No. Well, next week, be sure to join us to discuss whether or not it wobbled. Um, David, where can people find you online? <laughs> People can find me on the Heck Yeah Comics podcast, heckyeahcomics.com, and the Heck Yeah Comics podcast, wherever podcasts are sold, also on the Brokebot Mountain podcast. You can also find me around the internet under the username Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, find me there. And Nicole. You can find me running the Movie Go Round Facebook page, and uh, also the archived Geek Cinema Society Facebook page. And you can find me on Twitter under at your word whiz, and that's Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. Right on. You can find me at brettdavidstewart.com and on Twitter at Rivers Rubin. Go ahead and find me on my website. That's the best way to get in contact with me with all my good stuff. I also do silver screens in politics. So this is the kind of movie my co-host and I might delve into uh, is stuff <laughs> that uh, it's all it's almost always bad. Like it really is just painful at times. But you know what? We recently watched All the Way and that was surprisingly decent. So after I a- saw that in the, in the theater. All the way with uh, Brian the, Cranston, and Michael McKean. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's an interesting take on LBJ, and Dominic and I had some problems with it. But in the grand sk- scheme of coming off of some really bad movies, uh, it was pleasant. So go ahead and check that out if you aren't all interested in politics. I'll do it for myself, David and Nicole. We'll see you next week with Inception. <laughs> <laughs>